Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be today, and this isn't maybe uh, a familiar passage when it comes to communion, but I think it's, it's very important, uh, and, and I think it ties together very significantly to what we're doing in this series. Just to tell you where we're going next week, we're going to back up, and we're going to go back into the, New Te- into the Old Testament, and we're going to look at David's table. King David had a table, uh, as, as most kings do, uh, and, and God did some really cool stuff through David's table. The week after that, we're going to look at King Solomon, David's son, and his table, and what God did through that table. But we're, we're doing our, our last message in the New Testament on this today. Luke chapter 24 says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Now, now what day? This was the day uh, that, that Jesus had uh, raised from the dead, that there was some information that had gotten out. There was rumors going around that maybe Jesus wasn't, wasn't dead anymore. People had been to the tomb. They hadn't seen Jesus. It says that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. What does it mean, everything that had happened? Jesus was dead. This was two of Jesus' followers. They were not probably disciples. We know one of them was not. The other one isn't named. Uh, so they're probably not part of the 12, but probably part of the 120 who are in the upper room. These were people who, who knew Jesus who were close to Jesus, who were inspired by Jesus. And now Jesus was dead. Their rabbi, their mentor, their, their friend, their master, their Lord. They had just watched, not only watched him die, which is difficult enough. I mean, they'd watched him brutally murdered. They'd seen nails driven through his wrists, nails driven through his, his feet, thorns driven down into his skull. They'd watched all this happen, watched him be beaten 39 times with a whip that, that ripped the flesh out of his back. They're scarred, and there's some PTSD going on. They've been through a very traumatic experience, and, and they're talking about all this, and they're discussing it. They'd watched this Jesus, th- this man that they loved so much, they'd seen him heal lepers. They'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him calm the seas. They'd seen him feed 5,000. They'd seen him do all these things, even raise people from the dead, and now they'd watched him die themselves. They were devastated. It had happened so quickly. It was just one week before that Jesus had come into Jerusalem, into the holy city, and he was celebrated. And people worshipped him, and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They'd, they'd cheered for Jesus. They'd worshipped Jesus publicly. And it seemed like, man, they were on the top of the world. Jesus' followers, this is it. Jesus is taking over. He's going to be the new king. He's going to overthrow the Roman government. We're going to have everything we've ever dreamed about. They were at the top of the world one week before, and just like that, it was gone. Just like that, their dreams were crushed. Just like that, their, their hopes and aspirations had been yanked away so quickly. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where, where, where man, it seemed like everything was right where you wanted, and then out of nowhere, you're just blindsided by devastation. I know a family in our church experienced that devastation Friday night. Their 21-year-old nephew and cousin was in a car accident, head-on collision, airlifted to Little Rock and passed away Friday night. Wendell Nelms' nephew, Noah and Bailey's cousin. They're on their way to the funeral in Louisiana right now. Devastating moment for that family. Everything seemed great. He, he had just been married six months ago. The greatest place in his life, celebrating. Seemed, seemed like everything was going so well. He had a good job, and just like that, it was gone. That's what these two men are experiencing on the road to Emmaus. That's their mindset. That's their feelings. That's what's going on as they're making this seven-mile journey, this, this walk that should take them about two and a half to three hours. They're processing all this together. Verse 15 says, as they talked and they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and he walked along with them. But they were kept 
from recognizing him. So, so two guys are walking, and they're talking about all this, and then a third guy shows up and starts walking with them. And, and I don't know exactly what this was like in that culture. In this culture, that would be super weird. Right? Like, if you're having, like, kind of this in-depth, serious conversation, kind of mournful conversation with one of your closest friends, and a stranger just starts walking along with you and enters into your conversation, you're like, what's going on with this weirdo? Uh, right? But, but I love their reaction. I love the response. Even though they didn't know it was Jesus, they're very welcoming to him. They're very friendly to this stranger. And in verse 17, it says, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Some, sometimes the way the Bible words things cracks me up. Uh, we have to remember that this was written 2,000 years ago in a different language, in a different culture, and sometimes the translations maybe aren't going to c- come over 100% as far as the exact wording. Uh, I-, I think this is so funny. Like, what are you discussing together as you walk along? It's so kind of ro- robotic, right? Like, it's like you can hear Siri saying this, uh, right? Uh, if this was like modern day, Hor- like you're walking from South Haven to Horn La- Lake, you're not asking, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Like, what y'all talking about, right? Like, like that's what Jesus asked them. What, what, what's going on? What are you guys discussing? What are you talking about? Um, this story is commonly known as, as Jesus on the road to Emmaus or, or even the Emmaus walk. But if it was the walk to Horn Lake, it would be worded a little differently. Uh, but what I love about this is Jesus is always leaning into our lives. He leans into their life, right? Like, he doesn't keep his distance. He, he, he recognizes, man, something's going on here. He knows exactly what's going on, of course. But he, he doesn't just start talking like he knows what's going on. He allows them to let him in. W- what are you guys talking about? They had the choice in that moment. They could have brushed him off and, and been, man, you're, you're a stranger. We're not going to talk about what the stuff with you. This is just between us. They, they had the option to, to let Jesus in or not. And I think that's so applicable for us. I think Jesus is leaning into your life today. Jesus is leaning into your marriage today. Jesus is leaning into to your school life, to, to your work life. He's leaning into you today, and he's asking you just to open that door so that he can come in. And, and thankfully, these two men did. They, they, they recognized that as he leaned in, even though they didn't know it was Jesus, they opened the door, and they allow him in. In fact, uh, it's interesting how they respond. It says, they stood still, their faces downcast. Remember that phrase in verse 17. Their faces were downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Cleopas is like, dude, are you the only person that doesn't realize Trump and Hillary are up for the presidential election in two days, right? Like, this is, this is kind of how he's processing this. Like, this is the hugest thing going on in Jerusalem. Everybody knows. How could you possibly not know the election is this week? How could you possibly not know that, that Trump is the Republican candidate and Hillary's the Democratic candidate? How could you be so ignorant. How do you not know what happened with Jesus? And and Jesus does what he so often does. He answers their question, or excuse me, he asks a question that he already knows the answer to. This is like parenting 101, right? Like this is when when you took a test or maybe you forgot to turn in a paper and like the teacher called your parent and your parent knows about it and they come to you and you're like, man, how did that science paper go? Oh, I think it went all right, uh, right? Like, they already know the answer. They already know you didn't do it. It's a trap. It's a trick question. Just, get, just answer with the truth. Never answer your parents with a lie because most of the time they already know the answer, right? That's what Jesus is doing. He asks them a question. He knows the answer. Anytime Jesus asks a question, he knows the answer, BT-dub, right? Like, he already has that information. He's just giving them a chance to, to speak it. He's giving them a chance to, to confess it. Cleopas says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these three days? 
And Jesus says, what things? Jesus plays dumb, right? Why? Because he wants them, he wants to hear about it from their perspective. Of course, Jesus knows what happened. It was him. He knows what it felt like to hang on that cross. He knows what it felt like to be betrayed by one of the 12 men he was closest to. He knows what he just went through. He wants to hear from them. What, what happened for you? How did this impact you? What did you see? What did you hear? What did you feel? What did you experience? And so they go on to tell him what happened in their own words. They said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, they, they had a set of expectations about who Jesus was. They, they thought Jesus was the one who was going to come and, and overthrow the Romans and restore Israel to be a, its own nation and set them free. They're, they're in captivity, they're in bondage, they're, in, they're suppressed by the Romans. And they thought that Jesus was, was the Messiah, which he was, but they thought the Messiah came to do something earthly. They had no idea that Jesus had higher goals and aspirations. I think it's a really good thing for us to remember the week that we come to the election. Do we need to pray about who's elected? Absolutely. Do we need to pray about who we vote for? Absolutely. Do we need to pray for our country this week? Absolutely. But remember this, Jesus didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom, he came to establish a heavenly one. And whether the election goes the way that you want it to this week or not, or even whether the election goes the way that Jesus wants it to go this week or not, it's not going to affect Jesus' plan and what he's going to accomplish in our lives. Because he didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. He came to establish a heavenly one. And it doesn't matter who becomes the next president of the United States, they're not touching that heavenly kingdom. He's in charge. And so that they had these, these missed expectations. Their sights were lower than Jesus' were. Their plan was smaller than God's was. That's why the Old Testament says that, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Why? Because he's got bigger plans. He's up to something greater. He wants to do something more powerful, and we're focused on all this little stuff. So they thought, man, we, we thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Continuing on in verse 20, it says, and what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. It's Sunday. Right? In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us all that they had seen, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And so what's about to happen is Jesus is going to start to speak of these things, or actually he's going to hear them speaking about it. He is hearing them speak about it. And it's almost like, like the classic scene uh, in, in so many different TV shows and movies where somebody fakes their death and then they show up at their own funeral to see how are people talking about me after I died, right? Like Jesus didn't fake his death. He just beat death. He died, and now he's back. But he's getting to hear them talk about how heartbroken they were that Jesus died. I think it's really interesting uh, in this perspective. And so remember verse 17. It said that their faces were downcast. They were discouraged. So even though they've got this report, that the women had gone to the tomb and they'd seen angels and the angels said Jesus was alive. And then Peter and John went to the tomb and they saw that they, there was no body there. Even though they'd already heard those things, they're still discouraged. It's almost like they couldn't let themselves get their hopes up. It was too good to be true that Jesus might be alive. Man, somebody's messing with us. Somebody's pranking us. Somebody's punking us. We, we can't give in to this. We're smarter than that. We know how this works. We saw him die. He can't be alive. Verse 25 says, he said to them, how foolish you are. 
wonder how many times Jesus looks down at me and says, how foolish you are. You are dumb. You need to be smarter than this by now. You keep missing the point, Troy. I'm so much bigger than you think I am. I'm so much stronger than you think I am. I'm at work so many times when you don't realize I am. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, the whole Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament's about Jesus. The New Testament's about Jesus. Everything in Scripture is about Jesus. And, and the disciples and, and the followers of Jesus, Cleopas and this other man, they knew the Old Testament. They knew what the law said. They knew what the prophets said. They knew what, what, what had been written, but they hadn't yet added it all up to realize that it was all written about Jesus. They didn't know that the Passover was about Jesus. They didn't know that the prophecies in the book of Psalms about the Messiah were really about Jesus. They didn't know that the stories where there was a hero who stepped in and saved them and that those were all symbols of Jesus, that Gideon was about Jesus and Joshua was about Jesus and it was all about Jesus. And so now Jesus, who they don't recognize, begins to tell them, hey, it's all about Jesus. And he walks them through and he says, you know, when, when King David beat that giant, that wasn't just King David beating a giant. That was God telling you, I'm going to send a Savior who's going to destroy every giant in your life. The giant of sin, the, the giant of hell, the giant of death. He's going to take that away. He's going to kill that giant for you. And, and on and on. And he goes through all of this. And he's just blowing their minds. Wow, I never realized that was about Jesus. And that was about Jesus. And that was about Jesus. In verse 26, it says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. Again, Jesus doesn't force his way into their lives. So you know what? Okay, you guys are going home. I'm just going to keep on my walk. He allows them to invite him in. Jesus is a gentleman. He's not forcing his way into your life. He's going to come as far into your life as you let him. He's going to come into as many aspects of your life as you invite him. But he's not going to force his way in. So it's up to us to, to be intentional, to recognize, you know what, here's a part of my life that I haven't invited Jesus into. Here's an area I haven't opened the door. Or here's an area that maybe I did open the door in the past, but, but I've shut it. And I've taken it back over for myself. And I need to allow him back in to that part of my life. Verse 29 says, they urged him strongly. Jesus fakes like he's mo moving on. says, they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And then watch what happens next. And you're probably wondering what all this has to do with this series. Here's where it comes. It says, when he was at the table with them, what does Jesus do? They sat down at the table. Cleopas and his friend are like, hey, we got, we got a meal here. We got some bread. Let, let's sit down and eat. We want to honor our guest, our new friend. We don't even know your name. I not even got that far, but you, we know you know a whole lot about scripture. You're really interesting. You've captivated us. And so while he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. So here's what I want you to see about the table today. The table changes the way we see things. It changes the way we see things. There's something that happens at the table where light bulbs go off. There's something that happens at the table where, where God is revealed in a way we hadn't seen him before. Where people are revealed in the way we hadn't seen them before. Remember last week, we found out that, that Magic and Larry sat down to dinner together or to lunch together. And what did they find out? They found out, Larry said, you know what, I didn't really like Magic. 
but I met Irvin. And I really liked Irvin. Why? He saw Magic Johnson in a whole new way. Why? It's the power of the table. We see things in a new way when we sit down together. The table changes the way we see things. Finishing up this passage, verse 32, it says, They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? In other words, how do we miss it? How do we not realize it was Jesus? How did I not know that was him who was with me the whole way, right? It's almost like the classic footprints poem, right? Like we saw these sets of footprints, and wow, it was actually Jesus carrying me the whole time when there was one set. And, you know, you've read that 37 times while you were in the bathroom at somebody's house and whatever. Um, so this, whoa, how do we not realize that was Jesus? How do we not realize the dude we were just walking with is the one who died for us? How do we not put all this together? But the table changed the way they saw things. Today I have very, very simply for you two points. They're not going to take really long to unpack. We're not going to go really in-depth with them. It's two things that I want you to see from this story that, that I think uh, applies so strongly to our lives. Number one is we see Jesus in a new way at the table. We see Jesus in a new way at the table. Why is it important for us to take communion? Because when we take communion, we see Jesus in a new way. And maybe it's not always a new way. Maybe it's just a way we've forgotten. Maybe it's not always, well, something new that we didn't realize about him. It's just something that we haven't seen about him for a while. We see his love. We see his compassion. We see his power when we come to the table. Why is it important to come to the table? Because sometimes I lose sight of Jesus. Sometimes I take my eyes off Jesus. Sometimes I don't see Jesus the way that I used to. Why do we got to come to the table together? Why are we taking communion four straight Sundays? Because when we come to the table, we see Jesus in a new way. Set aside in a new way because when we come to the table, we see Jesus. Right? That's what's important. They sat down at the table with this man. They just spent two or three hours walking and talking with, and they didn't know what he was. But the moment that he broke bread with them, the moment he was at the table with them, all of a sudden, Their eyes were open. I don't think it's an accident. I think God's trying to tell us something about the table. Have you lost sight of Jesus in your marriage? Come to the table. Have you lost sight of Jesus in your personal daily life throughout the week? Get your butt to the table. Have you lost sight of Jesus in your work life or your parenting or or whatever area of life that you don't see Jesus in right now? Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your physical body. Maybe it's whatever it might be. Is there an area where you don't see Jesus? Come to the table. Because when we come to the table, Jesus is revealed. When we come to the table, we see him again as he truly is, high and lifted up, raised from the dead, living again, died for our sins, covered our all, paid the price for all that we need. We see Jesus again when we come to the table. I have a new challenge for you this week if our ushers would come and Start passing these out for me. I'd really appreciate it. I want everybody to get one of these. Um, challenge is this. As an individual, if, if you live at home with no other Christians, maybe you're the only Christian in your home, or you're, you're single, you live by yourself, or, or as a family or a group, if there are other Christians in your home, hopefully there are, you're going to take communion together this week. In fact, each week in the month of November, you're going to take communion together. So, so what does this mean? This means husbands, I want you to initiate. I want you to lead. I don't want you to leave this to fall on your wife's shoulders where it's next Saturday night and you haven't taken communion. And finally she's like, okay, fine, I'll speak up. Let's do this. Um, Now, if your husband doesn't take initiative, wives, do it. 
step up and, and make it happen, but hopefully you won't have to. Hopefully, husbands, you'll take the lead on this. Why are we giving you a handout? Because I, I know this could be super scary. Some of you are like, I didn't even know we could have communion outside of church. And I thought you had to have like an ordination and been to Bible college to lead communion. Well, you don't. Uh, all you have to do is love Jesus. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm going to empower you and I'm giving you some, some step by step. And let me say this too. There, there's, I think, eight steps or nine steps on that sheet. This is not like, thus saith the Lord, if you violate one of these, you have violated communion and you're going to hell. It, it's a step by step, make it simple, make it easy for you. If you tweak one of these things or, or you change the order, man, I'm not trying to be legalistic about this, but I am trying to give you some information so you're not like, I have no idea where to begin. So that, that's what that's for. Please don't think that this is, man, the holy document from God that if you don't take communion this way, you're a sinner. Um, but, but if you're not sure how to do it, if you're not sure how to initiate it or what to do, that's what you do. So, so get the communion elements, get some bread or some crackers or some juice, or if you want to, some wine. Uh, just don't take too much. Remember, we're not doing this to eat or to drink. We're doing this to remember Jesus. So it's not like, heck, yeah, we're taking communion every night, baby. Man. I'm buying three bottles of wine this week, um, right? Um, get, the, get, get the family together, get whoever, whatever Christians see. This, this is the one thing that we do that is exclusive to Christians. If you're not a Christian, we don't get to partake in this. We, we just read about it er, earlier. Like, if, if we're not taking this worthily, we shouldn't be taking it at all. So make sure it is the Christians in your house. If you've got some roommates and maybe a couple of them know Jesus and maybe a couple of them don't, don't, like, make it obvious, like, hey, you don't get to do this. Wait till the other guy's gone or something and, and invite the other believers in your home. We're not trying to, to put somebody down, um, but, but we want to make sure we're doing this worthily. So get the people together, um, and then we got the step-by-step right there. we got four verses you're going to read. You're going to read two of them. Take the bread. You're going to read the other two. Take the juice, and, and then I want you to seal it somehow. If you've got a guitar player in your house or a singer in your house, go into worship. Man, the, the original... Lord's Supper has said that, that they did all this, and then they sang a hymn, and then they moved on. If you've got that ability, do that. If you have no ability and no confidence, and man, this is going to be the weirdest, most awkward thing ever, and we're never taking communion again, you don't have to sing. Uh, I'm not making you do that, but find a way to cap it. So maybe that means you're going to pray, or maybe that means everybody's going to pray. You know what? We're just going to circle up and, and do this. And, and for some of you, I know you've probably never taken communion outside of church. Uh, for some of you, maybe you've never done anything like this spiritually in your home at all. might be so weird to, to take this initiative and say, you know what, we're going to do something just us. But we see Jesus in a new way when we come to the table. And I believe that it's going to be so powerful for your family. It's going to be so powerful for you, even if it's just you by yourself. And nobody else wants to do it. Nobody else will do it. You just got to do it by yourself. I think you're going to see Jesus in a new way. When it's you taking initiative instead of just my pastor's making me take communion on Sunday morning, so this is what we do. But you know what? I'm sitting down, and I'm intentionally carving out 10 minutes, 15 minutes to remember Jesus. What did he say? He said, do this in remembrance of me. The God of the universe died in my place, and I get to set aside some time this week and remember what he did to honor his request. I think that's awesome. So I'm asking you, I'm challenging you if you're part of City Church, even if you're not, but you're a Christian. Man, do this this week, and and not just this week. We're going to do this every week in the month of November. We're going to come to the table together. And if you want to change it up and, you know, do it different times or different ways or use different passages, you're confident in that, go for it. If you're like, man, I'm using this step-by-step guide word for word because I have no clue, then use the step-by-step guide word for word. That's what it's there for. Uh, but, But let me say this, too. Make plans for when you're going to do it, because if you don't, you won't. 
If you don't say, okay, we're doing this Tuesday night or we're doing this Thursday night or, you know, look at your calendar, figure out when's everybody free. If you don't make that, it's going to be Sunday morning next week and we're going to be talking about our challenge. And be like, oh, my gosh, we forgot to do that. And that doesn't make you a, a worse Christian. It just means you missed out on something that would really impact your life. And I don't want you to miss out. So take the time, take the initiative, have the conversation, take communion together. That's your challenge this week. The first thing is we see Jesus in a new way at the table. The second thing is we see others in a new way at the table. <coughs> There's something about the table, right? And, and so we, we see, first of all, we see Jesus. Most importantly and most significantly, we see Jesus in a new way at the table. But I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with somebody who I had one impression about them, and, and we got together and we had lunch together, and it's like, wow, I had no idea. I remember uh, just a, a few months back, in fact, this came up this week, Marie Holly brought this up, but uh, back in our series on called Glad You Asked, we talked about suicide, and we had Dan Turnage come share his, his experience with, with attempting suicide and, and being to that point and how God saved him and what God's done in his life since then. I found that out because he and I went to Mi Pueblos together, and had some Mexican food, and I ate some nachos and some salsa, and it was good, right? And how did that happen? All of a sudden, I, I, I get this guy who seems really cool, seems like he's got it all together, seems like, man, he, he's, he's sharp, and he's on top of things, and I find out he's got this terrible story in his past. And he's been through so much hurt, and so much that the enemy tried to take his life away. But now look what God's done in his life. Why did I find that out? Because we sat down and had some food together. Why? Because we see others in a new way when we come to the table. There's something about the table that levels the playing field that allows us to be our true self. And that's why the first challenge is for you to get with somebody this month from City Church, initiate a meeting, sit down, break bread with them, and eat together. As the, the worship team comes down, don't get distracted. We're, we're almost there, guys. So we see Jesus in a new way at the table. That's why we have communion. We see others in a new way at the table. So initiate, build relationship, connect with somebody. You're going to find out something that you didn't already know. I love this story of the road to Emmaus. It says, when Jesus broke bread, their eyes were opened. When you break bread and take communion together as a family this week, somebody's eyes are going to be opened. There's going to be an impact on one of your kids that, that communion all of a sudden makes sense. They've come to church and taken it 37 times, and it's never really meant anything. But now when dad leads it, there's a new power behind that communion. There's going to be something that happens when you take it, why? Because eyes are opened when we come to the table. We see things differently. We see things in a new way. Let's pray.